This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today. Today, I'm continuing my little mini-series on case studies. These are deals that I've actually worked on, and lessons can be learned from them. So I'm not going to go over every deal, but go over different types of deals. Um, Previous episode, I covered the first project I ever bought, and just kind of the blocking and tackling, you know, if you go to the Frank and Dave boot camp, it's the typical, you know, light capex, uh, infill, submeter, increase rents a little bit, you know, buy it right, sell it right, uh, get some cash, get a little bit of cash flow in the interim. Now I had, I brought in a number of homes, bought and renovated some homes. So I had some home sales in there that really is not part of the typical model of actually owning the homes. A lot of people don't want to own the homes. That did increase my profit on that deal. Just it required me to you know grow slow, so it's not always the best approach, and it's definitely harder to do if the park is not in your own backyard. I bring up that deal as we uh, uh, move into the next one, but I wanted to mention I forgot to mention in the last episode because I'm just kind of winging this here. Uh, to be honest, is how I found the deal and how I how I sold the deal. Just I thought that would be helpful. And that deal my dad found uh, was in our hometown of Quincy and. He basically just went to every park in the town and in the region and said, hey, you want to sell? And most of them said, not just no, but hell no. These are cash cows. So we just kept looking. And finally, we found one. And we actually, not, we're not very good negotiators, apparently, or weren't at the time. But the guy said, I want 680. We said, how about 675? And he said, deal. And then when it came time to write the contract, he said, I need 695 to pay the taxes or something. So we said, deal. And we bought it pretty much at retail. It was off market, but we bought it pretty much at retail, but we still made several hundred thousand dollars in that deal. So still well worth it, right? So today's deals, I'm going to just kind of jump into two smaller deals that I did about the same time, also back in that Western Illinois, Western Illinois, Northeast Missouri market. Uh, the first one was, it was, it was south of Quincy, Illinois, my hometown. It was in the, a little bit rural. It was out on a county road. Like, for example, my, my road costs were none. It was a county road. No curbs, no gutters. There was a small gravel drive for the mailboxes. And this was just a small park. It was uh, 18 pads. There were uh, 14 occupied lots at purchase. And then we, we bought it in uh, 2016, sold it about 18 months later. So not a very long holding period. So you may ask why. So let's talk first about the lessons that we're going to learn on this. And the, and the lear- lessons learned was just slight imperv curb appeal increase occupancy minimally, increase rents, and really just avoid the downside. And that'll be, that'll be part of the sale. Um, so the, the reason we bought it, well, the reason we bought it right, we bought this for 295000 It appraised for about 500000 I didn't really believe it was worth 500000 but I thought it was worth about four hundred at the time I bought it. So it was a pretty good discount, you know, 25%, 30% discount. It was on market. And what's interesting about this, it was on market by a local real estate broker who had owned it and operated it for several years. Dad was a realtor at the time, worked under this guy's brokerage firm, and this guy hired Dad to manage it um, in his spare time because he knew he had a different one. So Dad was managing it, 
So we already knew about the park, managed it for over years. So we, we knew where the bodies were buried, you know, if any. But the guy, he, he was a successful realtor and he didn't want to own a mobile home park anymore. So he decided to sell it. But here's where he made a mistake, interestingly, as a broker. He listed it for sale as, as land. The local MLS required you to list stuff as single family, multifamily, or land. Because it was, there was no structures, he thought, well, this is basically land. Well, guess how many people go looking for trailer parks in the land listings? Not very many. The only people looking for land are people that want to buy farm ground or hunting ground or potentially development ground. And this was not any of the above. It was a small pad parcel. So it was listed improperly. Had he listed as multifamily, the people who were looking for eight plexes and 12 plexes and stuff would have stumbled upon it and he probably would have got it bought. So he listed it at like 535,000 and it didn't move. And he lowered it 5,000 a week. And when it got down to 295, we said, we'll take it. And we got it bought. Interestingly, because it appraised well, we only had to put about $20,000 into this project. So we bought a $300,000 trailer park with 18 pads for $20,000 down. Now, why did I sell it? I sold it in a short time period later, and I sold it as part of a two-park portfolio, and I sold it for four twenty. So I made about one hundred twenty-five thousand. Really, by the time I had some home sales in there, a little bit of cash flow, I made closer to like one hundred seventy-five, hundred eighty-five thousand, which was really good from a cash on cash. It was an equity multiple over ten. I only, you know, I only put twenty grand in this thing. The reason I sold it was the lagoon. Didn't know much about lagoons time we bought it. It was a three-stage uh, lagoon, and we had a licensed engineer that monitored it, and it was there were no problems. The state of Illinois would come and inspect it every five years, really, with the permit we get renewed. But they did just supposedly do an inspection every one year, but honestly, I don't think they did it. I think they just did it from their desk because they would they would come by and send us a list of violations and be like uh, abandoned vehicle number nine. It actually be at like number one oh nine. Like there is no one oh nine. And there's no abandoned vehicles, and they they never came back to like reinspect. Like and there was there were violations like that, like tall grass on number five. You know, I think it was just some bureaucrat sitting at their desk pretending to do their job. Um, those were the annual inspections. So why did I get rid of it? Well, I went to the Frank and Dave boot camp. Oh, it would have been, I think it was Labor Day, two thousand seventeen. So I'd already owned a couple parks. I guess I think I already owned three parks at the time, and. At that boot camp, I kind of got scared of lagoons, to be honest, because I really, this one was out in the country, and Illinois was high regulation, and I thought if the state of Illinois ever comes around and says, we elitists in Chicago think that lagoons are yucky and all them rural folk are to convert to city sewer, I'm kind of stuck because the city is several miles away, city sewer is several miles away, and it would cost many multiples of the value of the park to have to convert. And I also realized that my upside was limited. I had uh, filled the park, so it was now 18 out of 18. It had ten, It had uh, six park-owned homes. It was 11. We got it down to six. But they were nice park-owned homes, you know, uh, two and three years old. The previous guy had bought several of those nicer ones. We brought in some older older used ones. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to really get much more out of this. I'm, it's never going to be, you know, a five-cap play because the size, because the lagoon. It's never going to be agency debt because less than 50 pads. So I thought, you know what, my upside is limited and my downside is significant. 
So going back to the Sam Zell risk reward analysis, I was like, there's a lot of risk if this, you know, maybe a low probability that I need to convert to Lagoon, but high pain point if it does. So we decided to sell it and sold it to a couple guys out of Chicago, uh, nice guys who we still manage this park and the next one for these guys. Um, and they've invested in some of my other syndications and the parks had no problems and the lagoons had no problems. So maybe I shouldn't have sold it. But at the time, I thought, you know what? I can make a six-figure profit off a $20,000 investment in just over a year. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sleep easier at night, cut my downside. So the lesson learned was, you know, take a little a couple chips off the table to reduce your risk, reduce your debt. All right. Next deal, uh, and how I sold that one, I told, you, I told you how I found it from the realtor. We sold it, we just put it on mobilehomestore.com, and these guys found it and sold it pretty quickly. I don't remember the cap rate uh, at that time. I want to say it was like a nine, so it wasn't, we didn't get a great price. We, 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 I think we left some money on the table, to be honest, but I was willing to do that because I wanted to get rid of that lagoon so fast, and we sold it super fast. But you know, maybe I, maybe I was too conservative, but it worked out. Another project, Nearby was in Canton, Missouri, small town. Bought this deal for about one hundred eighty-one thousand. How did I find this one? Ironically, my uncle owned it. He like stumbled into it. He was a contractor who lived in that town, and he had a couple rentals, had a couple houses, and he just had this mobile home park. And he was, I think, he was getting tired of the, the maintenance. They were sixteen occupied lots, no, there were twelve occupied lots. Excuse me. They were all park-owned homes. There are a total of sixteen lots. Twelve were occupied. Bought about 180,000, I had to put about 40,000 in. You know, basically down payment. It was in a little bit of, you know, a little bit of other cost, but it was really low, low entry. I sold this one about six months later. And I sold it as part of the same sale as the, as the previous uh, sale to the guys of Chicago. So why did I sell it? And what was the lesson learned? I sold it fast because the city of Canton does not deserve me. A guy by a law firm did a lot of development law, building new shopping centers and you know apartment developments and you know big industrial buildings, all stuff. So we we would tell. He said this to cities. He said, "Capital goes where it's welcome and stays where it's appreciated." And we would take big developers into these small towns, or not small towns, but city towns throughout the Midwest, and they wanted to feel like they were welcomed. Well, that's how I wanted to feel in Canton. As I said, look, I'm going to put some money in this park. I'm going to fill the last couple of lots. I'm going to paint all the houses. I'm going to fix up the park. And I'm going to, you know, this is a small, you know, not downtrodden perhaps, but kind of a downtrodden poor town. And I was going to, I was going to improve this place. I mean, it's, it's low-income housing was necessary. Put it this way. They allowed mobile homes on any city lot. So you didn't have to have a trailer park. You could just put it in a subdivision. Like, that's how loose the zoning code was and how loose the government restrictions generally were. So I was gonna invest in this. But in order to fill the last two lots, I needed to, or last four lots, excuse me, I had to bring in some homes and I had to get a variance from the setback. On the back side of this park was an alleyway. And the alleyway was, I don't know, 15 feet from the house, it was a small alley. Well, the setback was like 20 feet. And I was like, there's nobody back there but my alleyway, and, which I owned, and then there's no buildings next to it. So I said, I need to get a variance to bring in homes. And the city inspector said, no problem. City planning guy said, no problem. Mayor said, no problem. 
Well, the appraisal or something took long. I don't remember. We got an extension, and my uncle was not really that jazzed about giving us another extension. We were buying it. We thought it was a good price. He goes, look, buy it or don't. Um, so we said, okay, we'll buy it. You know, I should have pushed harder for an extension. But what I did was we closed on the property without getting the variance. We trusted the government. Fatal flaw. Lesson learned is get your entitlements and get your necessary approvals, all that stuff, get your zoning squared away before you buy it. And the zoning was good, I just needed, so it wasn't like I had no permit. I just wanted to, I just, to make this deal economically make that much sense for me, then I need to, I needed to get this variance. Well, we go before the Board of Zoning Adjustment for the variance, and we get on the docket, and just so happens, you know, bad luck for us, well, bad luck works for someone else, as you'll hear in a second, there was another mobile home park right next door, and it was really crappy, and the homes were like right on top of each other. Some of them didn't have siding on them, like the insulation was visible from the outside. There was no skirting on some of them. It just was, it was a really junky park. Well, somebody in one of those homes was making meth or something, and they caught the home on fire, and they burned alive. So obviously, worse news for them than me. But the bad news for me was the variance that I was requesting was going to make homes closer together. I also needed, a, I forgot to mention, a, uh, an internal variance of instead of 20 feet between homes, I needed like 16. And state fire code was like 15 or 10. So I was just like, I need to get, put these homes a little closer together. Not that much closer, but, but it, it was important. Well, now that somebody burned alive next door, they're like, why would we agree to let somebody put homes closer together so if one burns, they're all gonna burn? And the mayor still supported this, but when the fire marshal stands up and says, if you approve this, people will die, you're toast. So the rest of the story was, the mayor said, may I make a, we have a motion to approve crickets. I guess it wasn't the Board of Zoning Adjustment, I think about it, because typically that's, that's an administrative body, not the mayor, but it was the mayor. So it must have been this town that the, the BZA was the same as the council. Uh, which is not un completely uncommon, I guess, because it's small volunteer council. Anyway, no motion, we lose. We're pissed. Um, Dad was the one who was there, and the mayor apologized afterwards, so we say, you need to make this right. So we got back on the docket, whatever, two weeks or four weeks later, and this time, every single council member individually came and visited the property and walked through, here's the difference in size, all this, and we thought it was, we, we had the votes. We think we had like, I don't know, five to two or something. And came back on the docket, and the mayor assured us he was going to get it done. The mayor's not allowed to make a motion, under, typically under Robert's Rules order. So the mayor had the mayor pro tem make the motion. Motion to approve. Is there a second? Crickets. We never even got the second. We never even got a vote, and we never got our entitlements. So we put the park for sale the next day. Ended up tying it in with the first property I mentioned on this episode. And we sold it for 220. So still made 40, 45,000. Not a bad day, but pretty disappointing. And that was one of a long line of examples of where I lost faith in bureaucrats. So we sold it on the same, we sold it the same, we don't even market it, we sold it to the same guys from the one that had been listed on mobilehomestore.com. So anyway, 
made a little money. The money was made basically by just buying it at a reasonable price and then selling it at a, buying it for un, you know, a discount and selling at a reasonable price. No magic on this one. This was really more of a pain point, but it was nice that this was the worst, you know, I've done 20 plus projects at this point. This was the worst one and I still made money. So knock on wood, it, you, if, you, if you buy right, you make your money when you buy. You get paid when you sell or when you refinance, in particular refinance with non-recourse debt. Till next time, hope you learned something today. Have fun, be safe, God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.